November 1983, Apple headquarters, Cupertino, California. Microsoft's co-founder Bill Gates walks into a conference room where Apple CEO Steve Jobs is waiting for him. And he's furious. Nice of you to make it, Bill. Gates sits down. He knows where this is going. Gates and Jobs have been working closely together for the last few years on software for Apple's forthcoming Macintosh computer. But Gates has a side gig. You're obviously pissed with me. Let's have it. Okay. Jobs pulls up the sleeves on his black turtleneck to his forearms and glares at Gates. Why is it taking you so long to make the software we need? Well, Steve, you would have had it earlier if your team hadn't kept changing the hardware. Jobs hired Gates to create graphical software, digital images or icons that a user can quickly click on instead of laboriously typing out long commands. It's a revolutionary change, and whoever gets it into their computers first will have a decisive advantage. Look, Steve, I've got a third of my staff working on the Macintosh. We're committed, and you know that. But Jobs is mad because he feels Gates betrayed him by developing similar technology for a competitor, and not just any rival. Gates is working for the one company that could upset the Apple card, IBM. Well, our original contract said that Microsoft wouldn't create similar software for anyone other than Apple until a year after the Macintosh shipped. This triggers Gates' temper. That's right, you had a year, and that date has come and gone. I kept my end of the bargain. It's not my fault that your team kept changing what it wanted. It's your fault. You don't get it, do you? I'm trying to make something that's going to change the world, and you wouldn't even know about this technology if it wasn't for us. It's true. Jobs gave Gates access to the Macintosh technology that Apple is developing. It's an unprecedented level of sharing in the hyper-competitive world of tech. And Jobs is worried that Gates is sharing Apple's ideas with IBM and Microsoft might also use them. But buried under all that, there's a dirty little secret. You're ripping us off. I trusted you, and now you're stealing from us. Jobs is trying to claim credit for this innovative idea, but he didn't come up with it. No, he actually stole it from Xerox, and Gates knows it. Gates looks Steve in the eye. Well, Steve, there's more than one way of looking at that. I think it's more like we both had this rich neighbor named Xerox and I broke into his house to steal the TV set and found out that you had already stolen it. For a moment, the truth strikes them both silent. It's a fact. Xerox developed the graphical software first. The theft of that idea set them both on a path to harness the technology to create unprecedented success. Apple has bet everything on Macintosh. Jobs had expected to be well ahead of his competitors, but now, not only is he behind schedule, but Gates has given his secret weapon, the revolutionary software, to IBM. It's a gut punch to Jobs. Gates, once a friend, is now his foe. If you travel for work, you know to pack two suits, business and swim. You know with your Delta SkyMiles Business Amex card, buying that plane ticket for a business trip 
can get you closer to medallion status. You know that a meeting in Montana means visiting almost every national park. Yellowstone? Check. Because you're the chief excursion officer. It's why you're a Delta SkyMiles Platinum Business American Express card member. If you travel, you know. Terms apply. Visit go.amic slash you know business. Now, since you're a podcast listener, I'm sure you know all about how audio just does something to the imagination. So I'm really excited to tell you about how Audible's brand new exclusive thrillers are brought to life with that kind of captivating sound design, the eerie soundscapes and dynamic performances. There's one that caught my eye. I should say it caught my ear. It's an Audible original called Sleeping Dogs Lie by Samantha Downey. It details the aftermath of a local businessman's murder in Marin County, California, a once sleepy suburb now part of the bustling Silicon Valley area. And as an Audible member, well, you get to keep one title a month from their entire catalog, including bestsellers and new releases. New members can try Audible now free for 30 days. Head on over to audible.com slash BW or text BW to 500-500. That's audible.com slash BW or text BW to 500-500 and try out Audible free for 30 days. From Wondery, I'm David Brown and this is Business Wars. It's difficult to imagine a time when computers weren't everywhere, when words like desktop and web developer weren't part of the everyday lexicon. But 40 years ago, nobody had a computer at home. They were very rare, incredibly expensive to run, and solely the domain of hobbyists. But two guys, Bill Gates and Steve Jobs, would change all that. Back in the late 70s, Computers were giant machines that cost more than $4 million and were the size of a large living room. Decades later, Gates and Jobs would miniaturize components, shrinking computers to the size of a small television set that could sit atop a desk. And crucially, they managed to make them affordable. Very quickly, two camps formed in this new microcomputer world, Mac and PC. Mac, short for Macintosh, and the PC, short for personal computer, the catch-all phrase for non-Mac computers from companies like IBM, HP, and Dell. This is a story about one of the biggest rivalries in tech, Mac versus PC. It's also about who owns ideas and how an alliance between longtime friends Steve Jobs and Bill Gates turned into a brutal war. This is Episode 1, Rotten to the Core. Late 1979, at the Xerox Palo Alto Research Center, known as PARC, Steve Jobs is on a tour of Xerox's research and development lab to see what their developers have been up to. With him is Jeff Raskin, Apple's key engineer and several other Apple head honchos. A Xerox researcher greets them. Steve, Jeff, great to see you. Jobs shakes its hand. It's our pleasure, really. There are few people Jobs shows reverence, but Xerox Park has a reputation for developing the coolest and latest technology. 
and Jobs is so desperate to see their facilities and current projects that he's traded $1 million in Apple stock options just for this tour. In an epic failure of vision, Xerox's corporate arm didn't really see the value in what Park was developing, so they thought there would be no real harm in letting Jobs take a little peek. The Xerox employee clears his throat. Come on, guys, let's show you around. They walk through the low-rise building. Jobs has been having enormous success with the Apple I and II, but Jobs is now looking for the next big thing and believes that his next computer, Lisa, is it. Raskin, meanwhile, has been working on a project codenamed Macintosh. His goal is to make a computer for the masses that would be affordable and usable by everyone, not just experts. It was Raskin who heard about the innovative stuff going on at Xerox, and he urged Jobs to come. Park is Xerox's experimental development arm, so the atmosphere is a little more freewheeling than corporate. Jobs peeks into a room with beanbags all over the floor and scribbles covering a whiteboard. The Xerox employee leads them through to a room with a big computer. Here we have the Alto computer, which has the very first prototype for a GUI. GUI, or G-U-I, is an acronym that stands for Graphical User Interface. Jobs looks at the screen, and it's like nothing he's ever seen on a computer. He turns to the researcher. Where's the text? Up until this point, computers have been text only, but the GUI changes all that. Well, the GUI uses images to represent different documents or programs. He points at the screen. You see, this icon represents a folder, and this icon represents an embedded command. Raskin's brow furrows. So instead of typing a command, what do you do? The Xerox employee leans over and gestures to the mouse attached to the computer. This is what we call a mouse. You can use it to select certain items, just drag and drop them, or even copy and paste. Jobs can barely contain his excitement, and Raskin is right with him. Wow, this is incredible. You, you can just do that with a mouse? No more typing lines and lines of code? The Xerox researcher nods. Yeah, no more text commands. You're sitting on a gold mine. I can't believe Xerox is not taking advantage of this. The Xerox employee shrugs. I'll let you look it over by yourselves. Jobs turns to Raskin. This could change everything. With a graphical interface, any idiot could figure out how to work this thing. Raskin nods. I mean, the market potential is huge. Jobs thinks for a moment. He's no longer the CEO of Apple, but as its co-founder, he still considers himself the company's visionary. For Jobs, it was like a veil had been lifted from his eyes, and he could see the future of computers. Xerox's business is photocopiers. They've been working on this technology for years, and they still haven't brought it to the public. The world needs this software. It could bring computers to the masses. Well, we're going to bring it to the public. They don't actually get their hands on the Xerox software behind these advances, but they've seen enough to figure it out for themselves. August 1980, at the IBM headquarters in Armonk, New York. 
Bill Gates makes his way to the front desk. Gates is the head of Microsoft, a tiny software company that's been creating some buzz. At 24, he still looks like the college dropout he is. He runs his fingers through his mop of hair and stands awkwardly in front of the reception desk, rocking back and forth on his heels. When he speaks, his voice is high-pitched. I'm here to see Bill Lowe. Bill Lowe is the IBM executive in charge of the General Products Division, which focuses on the computing giant's personal computers and big typewriter business. He's in a suit and wears his dark hair neatly parted on the side. Bill, good to see you. They walk through the halls of IBM's huge corporate headquarters. The sterile environment with offices and actual doors is a stark contrast to the messy atmosphere of Microsoft's Seattle office. IBM is a big player in the mainframe computer business. They make the bulky, cabinet-sized computers that handle things like data processing. But they're finally catching on to the potential of the mass market for computers. And that's why Lowe has summoned Gates. So as you know, everyone's racing to corner the microcomputer market. Xerox is coming out with one. I'm pretty sure Apple is working on one. Most IBM products take four to five years to get out there because of bureaucracy and development rules. And frankly, we don't have time to wait for that. Gates nods along. The idea of a personal computer is still new. Computers are the domain of hardcore fans and industry professionals. They haven't been embraced by the wider public. But that seems inevitable. Lowe continues. Well, I want to make a personal computer that uses existing components and software. Stuff that we can buy out there on the market. No custom IBM-made chip, no homemade operating system. Something we can get out there quickly. Gates stares straight at Lowe making sure he gives away nothing. Interesting. So what do you want from us? Well, we want an operating system. I know you guys can make it, but we need it fast. Gates considers this. If IBM's computer is a hit, he'll have his software on PCs across the nation. Uh, how quickly? Thirteen months. Gates' eyes widen. There's no way I can write an operating system from scratch in that time. But I I have an idea for one I could acquire and adapt. That's fine. Whatever you can do to get it done. Gates pauses. There is one thing. I want to retain the rights to the operating system. Lowe shrugs. I don't see why not. It's your software. Just make sure you get it to me in time. The two men shake hands, and Gates heads back to Seattle to start working on his operating system for IBM's PC. Gates acquires an operating system called QDOS, which stands for Quick and Dirty Operating System, from another Seattle-based company. He pays $75,000 for it. Gates and his Microsoft team get to work tweaking the QDOS. If the IBM PC is a hit, Microsoft's software will ship across the nation. And Gates has to make sure that it all works. December 1980. Apple's office is in Cupertino, California. Raskin is in his office working on the Macintosh. 
Jobs walks right in. Hi, Jeff. I just wanted to check on what you've been up to. Raskin squelches a groan. A few months ago, Jobs was forced out of another new computer project called Lisa by executives who felt like he was meddling too much. Ever since then, Jobs has been dropping in on Raskin frequently. Well, we've made a few key updates to the Xerox interface. The mouse at Xerox couldn't be used to drag a window around the screen. My engineers designed an interface that allows you not only to drag files around, but to also drop them into folders. Fantastic. And did you try using the faster microprocessor I told you to? This rankles Raskin. No, Steve. If we use a faster microprocessor, it's going to be too expensive. I told you to forget about price and just focus on making an insanely great product. Apple has just gone public. Jobs himself is now personally worth $200 million. He's become somewhat of a celebrity in his own right, but he's losing fans at Apple because of his impatience and arrogance. Well, Steve, this is my project, not yours. Jobs turns on his heels. We'll see about that. Before long, Jobs squeezes out Raskin by getting Apple's CEO on his side. Then, Jobs wrests control of the Macintosh. This will be his baby. But now that he's dumped his collaborator, he's the one under pressure to deliver a knockout competitor to IBM. Jobs thinks he's got the inside track, but what he doesn't know is that IBM also has a plan to flatten the competition. And IBM's attack is being powered by Gates, one of the sharpest minds in the field. IBM isn't playing for second best. It fully expects to crush Apple. Apple Card is the perfect cashback rewards credit card. You earn up to 3% daily cash back on every purchase every day. That's 3% on your favorite products at Apple, 2% on all other Apple Card with Apple Pay purchases, and 1% on anything you buy with your titanium Apple Card or virtual card number. Visit apple.co slash card calculator to see how much you can earn. Apple Card issued by Goldman Sachs Bank USA, Salt Lake City Branch. Subject to credit approval. Terms apply. This episode is brought to you by State Farm. If you're a small business owner, it isn't just your business. It's your life. Whatever your business might be, you want someone who understands. That's where State Farm Small Business Insurance comes in. See, State Farm agents are small business owners, too. They know what it takes to help you personalize your policies for your small business needs. Like a good neighbor... State Farm is there. Talk to your local agent today. June 1981, Seattle, Washington. A conference room in the Microsoft office. Jobs is visiting the rainy Pacific Northwest to see Gates. Microsoft was founded just six years ago, but it's already made formidable programs for IBM and Apple. Steve, thank you so much for coming to see me. It's an honor for Jobs to visit. Apple's annual sales are $1 billion, and Microsoft's are a mere $32 million. That's absolutely dwarfed by IBM. Their revenue is a giant $26.2 billion, but it hasn't entered the personal computer business. 
Of course, we're really happy with the applications you wrote for Apple II. And we wanted to talk to you about an exciting new personal computer we're building. It's, it's going to be called the Macintosh. Gates isn't surprised Jobs is coming to him. Jobs knows that IBM hired Gates to work on the operating system for their PC. Every tech company has been working on a personal computer, and they're all racing to get their products to market. Sounds intriguing. Tell me more. Well, we want to sell millions of these things. It's going to be built in our specialty automated factory in California. It's going to use a graphical user interface and be unlike anything the world has ever seen. Gates' ears prick up. Gates has personally been intrigued by graphical user interfaces. The IBM PC is not graphical, and Gates has been dying to develop something on a GUI. So what do you need us for? Jobs bristles. Well, we don't need you for anything, but I want to do you a favor and give you a chance to be involved. The truth is that Apple doesn't have the developer power to make programs for the Mac. Gates's team is simply better at software. And Gates knows that. His company is small, but it's already gotten quite the reputation. We want Microsoft to make software for the Macintosh. What sort of applications do you want us to develop, Steve? If Jobs can get Gates on board, he'll guarantee that the Mac will have not only great design, but also great software. So he does his best to make the project sound alluring to a fellow coding junkie. We're thinking of a spreadsheet, a business graphics program, and a database. Gates nods. Interesting, interesting, that's certainly doable. Trust me, the Macintosh is going to be huge, and it'll be out by 1982. Jobs' offer is hard to resist. It's a chance for Gates's small company to partner with the hottest new tech firm of the moment. But he's still not sure. After all, he's already partnered with IBM, the Goliath. Does he need to partner with David, too? Ultimately, Gates is convinced by Jobs' impassioned pitch. He's nearly finished making the operating system for IBM. Why not make software for Apple? It would be quite profitable for Microsoft. And it'll serve as a hedge in case the IBM PC flops. October 1981, Cupertino, California. In one of the Apple offices, Jobs has called in his Macintosh team to look over the competition, a new PC built by IBM. All right, guys, let's dig into this thing. Jobs doesn't show it, but he's anxious. If this machine is good, it could spell disaster for the new Macintosh. IBM's new PC is a boxy beige machine with a small dark screen and a clunky keyboard attached. It's a far cry from IBM's mammoth computers of the past. One of the employees fires it up. All right, looks like this is running on Microsoft MS-DOS operating system. Of course they've got a Microsoft operating system. Bill can never turn down a quick paycheck. But how good is it? The Apple employee shrugs. Pretty good. I mean, it's reliable, sturdy. This is a workhorse computer, but it's not very inspired. Of course not. It's IBM. Come on, let's crack it open. Jobs' team dismantles the back panel to have a look at its guts. 
Is this it? This microprocessor is a joke. Internally, Jobs breathes a sigh of relief. He was worried that the IBM computer would be competition to his Mac. What he sees on this day makes him feel like his fears were misplaced. In fact, Jobs is so confident of Apple's victory, he takes out a full-page ad in the Wall Street Journal. Its text reads, Welcome, IBM. Seriously. But Jobs doesn't realize that his real competitor is currently his collaborator. Late 1981, Manhattan. A well-to-do woman walks into a Sears department store and heads purposefully towards the new microcomputers. She's heard a lot about these personal computers and wants to see what they're all about. She's greeted by a salesperson. Hello, ma'am. What can I help you with today? Well, I read about these new microcomputers in Time magazine, and I wanted to see what they're all about. My husband has one in the office, but I've been thinking about getting one for our home. The salesperson smiles. Absolutely. Well, we just got these IBM personal computers in store today. He gestures to the computers, and the lady nods. IBM? That's a good brand, isn't it? Oh, yes. The industry leader. He types on the demo computer. Now, as you can see, it's very easy to use. Anyone who can use a calculator can work this computer. And how much is it? Well, the cheapest version is about 1500 But if you want a color display and floppy drive, that'll be a little bit more. The woman looks pleased. I'll take it. I think little Johnny will absolutely love one of these. The woman leaves Sears with an order for a new IBM computer. Hers will be one of 50,000 sold in just a few months in 1981. IBM quickly proves that there's a solid market for personal computers. Now, Jobs has to bring out a computer that can best IBM. But he's unsure whether Apple's design superiority and Microsoft's more nimble software will be enough to beat a brand that Americans have long trusted. LinkedIn Jobs isn't just another job board. With a vast network of more than a billion professionals, it's the best place to hire. You'll get access to professionals you can't find anywhere else. And if that sounds overwhelming, look, don't worry, it's not. LinkedIn Jobs makes the process easy and intuitive. So easy, in fact, that 86% of small businesses get a qualified candidate within 24 hours. If you're like me, hiring the best candidates for a job can often be about who you know, the connections you make. My favorite thing about LinkedIn Jobs is the ability to screen for the experience and qualities you're looking for and reach out directly, not waiting for the right person to come in over the transom, sifting through emails. It's actually fun to find people with the skills and backgrounds you need this way through LinkedIn Jobs. Often, you're making connections that help your business along the way. Post your job for free at linkedin.com slash businesswars. You can thank me later. That's linkedin.com slash businesswars to post your job for free. Terms and conditions apply. Fall, 1982, Cupertino, California. Steve Jobs is totally stressed out. Apple has been working on the Macintosh, but the project has been continually delayed. 
It was supposed to be released this year, but now it looks like it's not even going to be ready by 1983. Jobs calls Gates. Hello? Bill, what's the holdup with our program? Uh, Hi, Steve. Nice to hear from you, too. I don't have time for niceties. We're seriously behind. You promised me programs, and so far I don't have anything. Gates sighs. He's been having a version of this conversation with Jobs for months. Well, Steve, your guys keep changing the hardware on me. I can't make the software if the Macintosh is constantly in flux. It makes my developers' jobs impossible. Jobs has been his usually demanding self, requiring his designers to make constant design tweaks to get the Macintosh just so. Is that right? Gates tries to appease the heated Jobs. Look, we're incredibly invested in this deal. The same number of Microsoft employees are working on this product as Apple employees. Jobs is still angry. Every month that the Macintosh is delayed is another month that IBM gets a chance to sell uncontested. Bill, we're losing money and giving IBM a chance to scoop up sales. He turns on Gates. I guess you don't care about that, though, because you've got your nice little deal with IBM. How come you could get IBM's operating system out so quickly, but you can't even handle a couple little software programs for us? Steve, that's apples and oranges, and you know it. Touché. Look, just make sure you get me an update by the end of the month. I need to have something, anything, to show Scully. John Scully is Apple's latest CEO, and he's not one to take excuses. Will do, Steve, but... Before Gates can even say goodbye, Jobs hangs up. He doesn't have a second to waste. Internally, Jobs is getting heat from Apple executives like Scully, who want to keep the stock price high. To do that, Apple needs to keep putting out new products to continue growing. Now that Apple is publicly traded, Jobs has to answer to the CEO and shareholders. Sales of the Apple II have been slowing, and the company's fortunes have begun floundering as a result. IBM's PC, meanwhile, has been taking off. It generated $1 billion in revenue for IBM in the first year. Everything hinges on the Macintosh. But at this moment, it's far from certain Jobs can ever get it done. November 1983 at Apple offices in Cupertino. Jobs is sitting in his office with his head in his hands. Months have passed since his fight with Gates, and the Macintosh is still not done. It was supposed to ship to customers this spring, but now it looks like the company won't be able to release it for another year. Jobs looks up. It's Scully, Apple's CEO the last guy Jobs wants to see right now. Hi, Steve. I thought I'd pop by and see how things are going over here in Macintosh land. Scully is a former PepsiCo executive who Jobs lured to Apple with a legendary question, do you want to sell sugared water for the rest of your life, or do you want to come with me and change the world? He was moved up to CEO last year, but it's hard to be Steve Jobs' boss. Jobs scowls at him. Well, they're delayed. Again? Steve, if this gets out, it's going to murder our stock price. You said it would be out in 1982, and that year came and went. Same with 1983. Jobs' face reddens with anger. Look, 
I want to get the Macintosh out as soon as anyone else, but it can't be subpar. Sometimes, Steve, done is better than perfect. This doesn't need to be perfect. The company needs a lifeline. The Apple III is sputtering. The Lisa is... Well, the Lisa's a joke. We need the Macintosh. Scully's not wrong. Sales of the Apple III have been weak. Its successor, the Lisa, is so slow that sales have fallen flat. Well, if I'd been allowed to stay in charge of the Lisa, maybe it wouldn't be such a joke. The Lisa project had originally been Jobs' baby, but he was taken off the project after he was deemed too troublesome. Have you heard? There's a new knock-knock joke around the office. It makes fun of the Lisa's dismal response time. Knock-knock, who's there? Then there's a 15-second pause in the word Lisa. Jobs shakes his head. We have been waiting years for the Macintosh. Steve, I need it now. As Jobs ponders Scully's message, a headline in the newspaper on his desk grabs his attention. Gates has just announced a new Microsoft operating system called Windows. Jobs scans the article. Apparently, it's more powerful than the operating system Gates built for IBM. Jobs begins to feel his blood boil, but keeps himself in check under Scully's gaze. When Scully leaves the office, Jobs calls Gates. Hello? What the hell is Windows? Gates answers calmly. It's our new operating system. It's excellent. Really? Why weren't you working on our Macintosh programs instead of Windows? Gates' voice remains measured. We have been working on the Macintosh programs. You'll have them soon. Jobs looks at the phone in shock. He can't believe Gates just hung up on him. As Apple sales slow, the power dynamic in their relationship is shifting. They once had a pretty even codependency, but now Gates has just signaled who has the upper hand. Gates sees an opportunity to make Microsoft as big as Apple by focusing on its own operating systems that will run on every PC, IBM or its clones like Dell, HP, or Compaq. Doesn't matter. Windows will flood the market and possibly swamp Apple. Apple's response is not a software or design tweak. No. It's a halftime Super Bowl advertisement like no other. It's directed by Ridley Scott. The ad riffs on the Mac's release year, 1984, by depicting an Orwellian totalitarian landscape in which one woman flings a sledgehammer into a giant screen and smashes it. It's supposed to be a comment on the total domination of IBM and how Apple's Macintosh plans to shatter its rival. On January 24th, Apple Computer will introduce Macintosh. And you'll see why 1984 won't be like 1984. Spring 1984, Los Angeles, California. A day after the Super Bowl ad. Shoppers crowd into a computer store to buy the Macintosh. One man stops a harried retail worker. I'd like to buy a Macintosh, please. Another woman interrupts. Me too. A third customer chimes in. Yes, I want the one they showed in the Super Bowl ad. 
Look, we have a five-week back order at the moment, but I can put your names down. Do you at least have a model we could look at? Well, follow me. The pair weave through the aisles and finally reach the Macintosh. The customers look at it like it's an alien. It's smaller than the IBM PC and is composed of only three elements. A screen, a mouse, and a keyboard. The processor, the computer's brain, is no longer a separate component. It's built into the screen. And the screen, too, is a revelation. It's filled with easy-to-understand graphics, and you can move everything on the desktop with the mouse. No text commands required. The woman reaches out to touch it. Wow. How much is this? $2,495. Can I put my name down on the wait list? That scene is replicated across the country. Jobs is relieved. After lengthy delays, the Macintosh sells well, moving 70,000 units in its first few months. It's wildly successful. At first. But Apple's problems with Microsoft and IBM are only just beginning. Because as Microsoft's software increases in value and ubiquity, Jobs and Gates are going to become equals and bitter rivals. On the next episode of Business Wars, we dive into the backstories of Gates and Jobs, two men who saw themselves reflected in each other before ambition ripped them apart. From Wondery, this is episode one of Mac vs. PC for Business Wars. A quick note about recreations you've been hearing. In most cases, we can't know exactly what was said. Those scenes are dramatizations, but they're based on historical research. For more on the history of the Mac, check out Steve Jobs, written by Walter Isaacson. We also recommend Hard Drive by James Wallace and Jim Erickson. I'm your host, David Brown. Natalie Robomed wrote this story. Voice acting by Michelle Philippi. Karen Lowe is our senior producer and editor. Edited and produced by Emily Frost. Sound designed by Kyle Randall. Our producer is Dave Schilling. Our managing producers are Tanja Thigpen and Matt Gann. Our executive producers are Jenny Lauer-Beckman and Marshall Louie. Created by Hernan Lopez. For Wondery. Hey, it's Guy Raz here, the host of How I Built This, a podcast that gives you a front row seat to how some of the biggest products were built and the innovators, entrepreneurs, and idealists behind them. Every week, I speak to someone new, stories like Justin Wolverton's, a lawyer who just wanted a healthy alternative to ice cream, so he created Halo Top in his Cuisinart, or Todd Graves, who grew his fried chicken restaurant Raising Cane's into one of the most successful fast food chains in the U.S. All of these great conversations can help you learn how to think big, take risks, and navigate crises in life and work from people who've done all of that and more. Follow How I Built This on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can listen to How I Built This early and ad-free right now on Wondery Plus.